0: Frank Gogol, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, you are. Very good. Awesome. Got it on the first try. It's always a good time. I appreciate you in these times that we are currently in, uh, taking your time out.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy to be here, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, you yeah, I'm out in San Francisco, so I don't have a whole lot else to do. Not that I wouldn't be here anyway, but uh, this is definitely something to take my mind off everything.
0: Before we get too far into things, I'm uh, just going to go ahead and list some works. You've got your uh, graphic novel, Grief, three Issue miniseries, Dead End Kids, your new project, which is uh, No Heroin.
1: That is, that is correct.
0: I read everything. This, this particular new comic is actually, uh, I, there's a lot that we can probably discuss with the contents of what's going on in it. I work just a couple miles outside of Huntington, West Virginia, which has unfortunately been, I guess, infamous is the word for being one of the worst heroin overdoses capital of the, of the United States, uh, 10 times more overdoses than anywhere. They even, uh, there's even a, a short film on Netflix called Heroin that got nominated for uh, Academy Awards. And after reading some, uh, some personal history of yours that you provided, it seems as though this is something that you also too, and me as a nurse, obviously I've, I've encountered it, but it's way more personal for you. So having read the first issue, was a, per- a personal choice to do this, so you can uh, explore this territory because it is so close to home. Uh, the, the The unsexy answer is is
1: no. That's not how it started, but along the way, it, it very much became that. There, there's a couple things that are sort of touch points in my life that led me to here. Uh, one was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You now, for everyone listening, the the book No Heroine is it's sort of like what you would get if you crossed Buffy with Tank Girl. Um, and made
0: her, <laughs> that's, that's a, ma- I like that. That's good. Yeah.
1: Um, and, and made her a recovering heroin addict. So there's monsters and, 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 she's, she's pretty punk rock and, and she fights pretty brutally, but she's also got this sort of seedy dark side to her. Uh, but, uh, so, so a couple things for me, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a huge influence on me. I watched it way too young when I was eight or nine in 1997 <laughs> when it started airing. Um, and and Joss Whedon's storytelling in, in general has just always been a, a really important influence for me. As you sort of alluded to, I had a, a not so great life in some regards. Uh, both of my parents were, were drug addicts when I was growing up. Uh, my father passed away when I was about a year and a half old. And I grew up for quite a while without a father and then when my mom finally did remarry she married another drug addict and and so it's just like it was a huge part of my life um and and watching my mom go through sort of like the relapse and recovery sort of like back and forth like a ping pong ball for for most of the years mm-hmm. I was growing up and then uh the, the the sort of third ingredient in the recipe was uh was artist Chris Mad who I knew Chris uh, when I lived in New Jersey. Uh, I live out in San Francisco now. I've been here for a little over two years. Prior to that, I lived the first 31 years of my life in New Jersey. And when I lived there, uh, Chris and I shared a comic shop. Uh, we weren't like super good friends. He's about 10 years older than me, uh, but we shared a shop. We were both Wednesday warriors. We'd both go to the shop on Wednesday and, and be there with doors open and sort of hang around a bit we'd chat and I was like vaguely aware that he did comic art and I'd seen some of his stuff. And I had just started writing at the time, but about, about two years later, after I had moved to San Francisco, we were both at a convention in Philadelphia and we got to talking, uh, after hours one night and, you know, he, he, it was a good conversation. And he is, you know, kind of threw it out there. Hey, if you, if you ever want to do a book together, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that'd be really cool. I mean, you know, we've got this kind of common personal history being from you know the same area. We both grew up uh, around red bank, New Jersey. Uh, we both went to the same high school. We both hung out in the same sort of like grungy, dirty punk rock park, uh, about 10 years apart. Um, but we had a lot of shared history and some overlap and, um, you no, know, it's sort of, he, he threw it out there. He was like, yeah, like, you know, if you ever want to do a book together, I think that'd be pretty cool. And I said, yeah, that, that would be awesome. Um, I don't really have anything right now, but uh, I, I, I'd, I'd love to keep you in mind if, if the right book comes along. Um, and I was getting ready to write Dead End Kids at the time. So, like, that's where my mind was. Um, so, the con ended, and I got on a plane back to San Francisco. It's you know, a six-hour flight. And by the time I got off the plane at SFO, I had written the first issue. Uh, my mind kind of exploded. Uh, like with all these things sort of coming to a head, uh, you know, my personal history, um, you know, wanting to tell sort of my version of a Buffy story, Chris saying he'd do a book um, sort of me knowing a little bit about Chris's history. Chris had struggled with some addiction earlier in his life. He's been clean for about 20 years. Um, but uh, it's sort of just like, it all kind of like came to a head and all these ideas. And like, I just had this idea for a character who who ended up being Kayla, the main character for the book. And that's that's sort of like the origin story of of the book, um, and even even then it didn't really like quite click into place. Um, so I wrote that first issue, and then I stopped for a while, and I wrote Dead End Kids, and Dead End Kids was a really big success for an indie book last year, and like, yeah, you know, the bulk of the next eight months was was focused on Dead End Kids and getting that out, and then came out the following summer. Um, uh, but somewhere along the way, uh, my brother Joey, who uh, is, is about a year younger than me and who I grew up with and was my, one of my best friends. He's one of the kids that uh, the kids in Dead and Kids was based on. Um, he really struggled with addiction when we were growing up. And for like the better part of the last 20 years, I've been watching him sort of relapse and get better and relapse and get better and watch him really struggle with it and, and try to be there for him. Uh, but he finally lost his his battle to addiction and overdosed and died um, along the way. And that's like where everything really clicked into place for me. Like it was the last unfortunate you know piece of the machine that that became this book.
0: I basically just back to back devoured everything that you were nice enough and to send, and I was fortunate enough to get the read. Coming off Dead in Kids, there's so much of life being dealt with, and the aspects of the book that were really awesome, but juxtaposed to the telephone conversations, I thought that it really did well in a first issue of really fleshing out so much of her personality. So I really enjoyed the character. I'm pretty excited about uh, getting to see where she goes from there. I really enjoyed the art. And I also noticed that there was another mad on the book, or is that a relation to the fella that did the artwork?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that, that's actually a pretty good segue to just talk about the art team in general. Um, I mentioned we've got Chris Mad on on. Uh, interior art. He did, uh, the covers for dead end kids. And I, and I rolled him over into this project before dead end kids. And that it, it's, it's a whole sort of weird cycle. I like to work with people over and over again, keep giving them work if I like it. Uh, the, the working relationship that is. Um, so Chris, uh, did the interiors. He's done, he's doing uh, hand pencils and hand inks. Uh, it's my first time working with a traditional artist, uh, and some, not somebody who does digital, mm-hmm. um, on colors. We've got his daughter, Shauna who as far as I know, has never done any kind of major comic book project. She, she's a very good colorist and has done lots of posters and stuff like this, but this is, like, her very first sort of, you know, foray into coloring a big comic like this, and she's absolutely knocking it out of the park. Um, she's – I mean, the colors just pop. They're very vibrant. The palettes are very unique. There's lots of purples and oranges and, like – I wasn't really sure what to expect the book to look like, but I like the idea of working with a, a father daughter team because they could communicate and, and, and riff off one another and, and hopefully have really good synergy. And it's really working out that way. Um, and then on letters, we've got Sean Reinhardt who lettered grief and who lettered dead end kids. And he's an absolute rock star of a letterer. Letterers do not get nearly enough credit for what they achieve and, and how successful the book is because of their work. Um, and Sean is absolutely a pro. Um, I'm super glad to have him back. And then on covers, we've got Ahmed Rafat, who is an Egyptian artist. Uh, he's based out of London and he did a couple of covers for me for dead end kids, some variants for conventions last year. And I really love his style. Like it's really just very simple yet. Like, you know, just like, Detailed in a really weird way, like it reminds me of David Aha in a lot of ways, and he's one of my favorite artists. And I, I love working with Ahmed, Um, so I had to have him back for covers. And I mean, you saw the cover for the first one; it's, it's, it definitely will stand out on a comic shelf.
0: So you said you spent thirty-one years towards the east coast. How did your journey into comics start?
1: Uh, I grew up watching like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon and and the Spider-Man Batman animated series in the early 90s, and that sort of like was my first exposure to anything kind of comics related, um, and I, and I loved it, and I you know to this day will rewatch you know, the Batman animated series fairly regularly. Um, I also grew up watching Power Rangers, which isn't, a, you know, wasn't a comic book at the time, but it was in the same vein—superheroes you know, and, and and colorful outfits and whatnot. Um, and then in 1997, that same year, I watched my first episode of Buffy. I also picked up my first comic book, which was uh, a Marvel DC mashup from the amalgam universe. Uh, it was called Super Spider Boy, uh, and it was a mashup between Superboy and Spider-Man. It was a truly awful comic book but in 1997 (laughs) i I didn't really know better uh and i thought it was just the greatest damn thing um so uh i I was reading comics fairly early like nine or ten years old um and for me, like I mentioned, like I had like a, a pretty garbage childhood, like a lot of it was escapism, you know, the time I wasn't spending outside, like when I was home, like I just sort of hide away and either be watching TV or, or you know, be watching or reading comics and then kind of, you know, um, but I couldn't ever really like relate to the characters in a way I, 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 that felt meaningful to me, like Batman's cool. he's a billionaire and I I grew up very poor Um, Superman is literally perfect and like that just it's it's a really hard thing to kind of jive with even even Peter Parker for as like relatable as he can be he's still a superhero Um, so like you know as much as I loved it it, and it was escapism for me like it did leave like a little kind of an empty feeling for me Uh, just just the littlest like faintest one I didn't even probably realize it at the time um, and as I got older, like I really fell in love with reading. Um, uh, I I went out of my way to take English classes in high school. I was in a lot of uh, honors, creative writing classes, and, and AP classes. Um, I think I, I t- took nine credits of English for college before I graduated high school. Like I just really loved writing and and what literature could do. Um, and about the time I was a senior in high school, like I decided that I wanted to be a writer. Um of some kind, like a, a screenwriter, a, you know, a playwright, poet, whatever. I just I just knew that this was the thing that I felt very good at and that I, I enjoyed. Um, and that was about the time I realized people could make money doing it. Um, and since I was, like, thinking about going to college, like, it was, it was just all in my mind at the time. Um, and then in the spring of my senior year, uh, Marvel Civil War happened. Um, and, like, that's kind of when I, like, really went all in on comics. Um, mm-hmm. I. I pulled like every issue of Civil War, all the tie-ins. Like I was I was kind of like, yeah, you know, lack of a, a, a positive way to say, it's kind of like a comic book junkie. Um like I just I really, really just couldn't get enough of them. Like I would spend hours on Wikipedia, like researching the Marvel universe and like learning random bits of trivia. Um, so but then I went to college. Um, I studied English and I've got, I got two bachelor's degrees, one in English, one communications. Um, I knew I wanted to write comics. So I sort of tried to build my College education and career around comics. Like all my on-campus jobs were things that I thought like would help me make comics. I ran my school's newspaper so I could learn about like working on a deadline and print production. I got a graphic design minor so that way I could you know learn you know more about print production and 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 doing design. Um, after I graduated college, I went on to do two masters in creative writing. Um, and like, I really felt like I'd spent a lot of energy setting myself up to, to, to be like the best possible comic book writer I could. Then I graduated and for the better part of five or six years, I didn't really do anything with it. Like, you know, real life kind of happens. Um, I got out of yeah. school, got out of school, I got a job, uh, I started working at a software company doing their marketing. Um, was really good at the job, paid really well, benefits were awesome. Like, you know absolutely nothing to complain about. Um I had met my wife, who was, you know, at the time my girlfriend, we bought a house. Uh, we got a dog. Like just, yeah, you know, all all the sort of social and, and, and life responsibilities hit and like I didn't prioritize making comics. Um but then around like the middle towards the end, like the like you know, around September, October of uh 2015, I, I just started to feel like kind of depressed. Like, I, and I didn't really know why, like everything was going really well. I was in a great relationship, I, you know I was checking off all the boxes, you know, I got a dog, got a house. Like, I, I didn't really like know like what I was missing and like, yeah, I was really good at my job and it, it paid the bills and it paid really well. But like, when I finally like was able to put my finger on it, like I just, I realized like just in general, like I was unfulfilled, like with what I was doing with my everyday life, um, as good as it was. Um, and that kind of went on for a couple months, uh, and then one night in December, end of November, beginning of December of uh, 2015, my my girlfriend Catherine, she sat me down. She's like, "Look, you don't you don't seem like you're you're all right, and like you don't seem like yeah you know, your head's straight, and like yeah you know, I, I know you really well. Like this this isn't you. What's what's going on?" And like we we just started talking, um, and eventually like, you know. We, we sort of got to the root of it, like, that I just wasn't fulfilled with what I was doing with my life. Um, and she asked me, well, if you could be doing any one thing, like, no matter how ridiculous, like, what one thing do you want to be doing? And, and like, I thought about it for a minute, and I, I said, I want to write comics. Um, and like it was it was like a weird moment like it's like you know, like the, when a little kid says he wants to be an astronaut or a little girl says she wants to be an actress like it's like you, you, you say it and you like it doesn't mean it's realistic or you're kind of just throwing it out into the universe and like I didn't really have anything better to say so I just said the thing that felt right um so I said that and she thought for a little bit and, and then she said well what what would that take like you know what what would the what would the path to that look like? How how is that? How can you make that a realistic goal? And like I was kind of like blown away that like the conversation went on beyond me saying that. Like <laughs> that's it, not what I expected.
0: Um, well, that but that's good though. You picked the right girl.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and like it ended up being pr- probably outside of when I proposed to her the most important conversation I've ever had in my life. Maybe maybe even more important. I don't know. Um, but essentially, like I I sort of told her what it would take to, to be a comic like what comic book writers go through, like what I knew at the time at least, you know, learning how to how to write for comics specifically, going out and networking, traveling for conventions, um, you know, like what what it would be to be what it would be like to be a freelancer and like the sort of pros and cons of that. Like you don't, you know, necessarily have healthcare, kind of you don't have consistent, you know, income all the time. Um and and like just sort of like trying to as honest as I could about it. And, you know, after I, I said all that, she said, well, if, if you had to do one thing to start making that all possible, what, what would that look like? And I said, I, I would have to take a year off of work and, and put in the work to, to, to make it happen, to, to learn how to write and to, to get the networking going and, and to you know do all that. And again like i was just entertaining the conversation like i didn't expect anything to really come of it um but uh by the end of the conversation she had said you should quit and you should take the year off and you should do this thing if it's going to make you happy and like i i pushed back really hard like i you know i made a lot of money and we had a mortgage and and you know we had car payments and, and everything and like to to go from a a very good two income household to half or less of what we had coming in like it just financially it was like really really close to financial suicide um like it was it was an insane move um but you know like we we're both pretty thrifty we we had savings um and and she really really wanted me to do this thing for myself so by the end of the conversation like I agreed and in January of 2016 like I stopped working and I started learning comics. Um, and what that looked like was I would get up every day at six o'clock. I'd go to the gym and, and, you know, shower and eat breakfast and all that. And by nine o'clock, every single day, Monday through Friday, I'd be sitting at my desk for the next eight hours, except for a half hour lunch. And I treated it just like a job. You know, I made, I made calls to network with people. I, I sat down to, to learn and write and, and to study and read books. Uh, um, and, and at some point, um, I re- started to realize like that I wouldn't be able to do everything I needed to do in a year. Like it, ju- it was just too much. <laughs> yeah, and I, didn't, and I didn't have enough resources. Um, so at that point, I got in touch with andy schmidt who uh was a he was an editor at marvel and, and at idw uh he's probably most famous for editing transformers over at idw and he was the the head editor on annihilation at marvel um and andy runs a school called comics experience uh it's an online school kind of like university of phoenix online webinar type classes uh, but sort of like college-level difficulty. Um, and, and there's classes for everything, like writing, uh, inking, art, perspective, comic book law, uh, editing, project management. I mean, like you name it, there's a class. And if you can imagine it, I'm sure they're going to do a class on it. Like it's it's a really robust resource um, and it was kind of the main line I needed of information and technique to, to really take everything that I had already, like all the writing skills I had, all the technical skills I had, and sort of – put them into the right order to be able to do this. Um so in April of 2016 I took that intro class that comics experience offers. I learned from Andy. He taught me scripting and then how to sort of organize all the tools I already had and it was it was kind of the thing that unlocked the floodgates for me like it, everything that had come before that all the conversations and and all the learning really kind of came to a head right there and then and and that Uh, you know, I walked away from that class with a script for a short story, uh, called embrace. It's the, it ended up being the last story in grief or the first story in grief last in reading order. Um, and, and I had a artist and a colorist and a letter, Sean, uh, waiting like the day I got the script back from Andy and, and two weeks later had my first finished comic and like, I I opened that email and it was like, I'd I'd never felt anything like that before. Like, I imagine this is what people who have babies feel like when they see their baby for the first (laughs) time. Um, And like, I just knew from that day in, in very late April of 2016, like, this is the only thing I ever wanted to do. And I felt like I was good at it. And like, it's kind of just spiraled from there and in all honesty, like it's just been rapid. Like I don't feel like I've stopped to catch my breath ever since that moment. And and like, I don't feel like I'm out of breath.
0: Amazing to hear how much you have gone through to get here. I think for uh, listeners and, and readers that experience people's works, always a pleasure for me to get to delve into those behind the scene things, just listing all the different collegiate accomplishments that you have and to arrive at a point in your life where it wasn't that things weren't going well. They were going well, but that you had this thing inside you that needed to hatch, that you needed to give birth to it, so to speak. It's quite a story. I'm glad that you've had the opportunity to get what you are and that you've your independent stuff so far has been met with success. It's good for those that are out there because all the time that you meet people who are trying to make a break in or those that uh, still have things that are gestating and you're trying to decide to, to put that foot out there. You did all of this in San Francisco?
1: That was back in the East Coast. Um, so it's oh, sort of okay. like at this point, it's sort of split two years and two years. I'm, uh, in next month in April, I'll have been doing this for four years. Um, and we moved – towards the end of 2018 so almost 2 years into this so we've been well like 6040 um okay. but but uh yeah i it, it's 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 been it's been a wild couple of years like i mean like not to toot my own horn like i say I this like almost scaredly if if that's even you know feasible um but i've had a lot of success <laughs> I've had a lot of success really quick. My first book grief was a a digital only Kickstarter that came out in April, 2017. Um, It was honestly just uh, me trying to tell 10 good stories and make a little bit of the money uh, that I had spent on making comics back. Like comics are super expensive to make. Like a short story costs a couple hundred bucks if not more to make. and, and, and I was working sort of freelance a little bit, like doing stuff after nine to five every day just to make sure we had right. some money coming in. But it wasn't like paying the bills in any significant way. And it was it was barely covering what I was spending to make comics. So I thought I'd, you know, try to get my name out there a little bit, start to build a fan base, you know, build a little momentum by, you know, t- sort of knocking out an easy Kickstarter. Uh, it was a 30 day campaign. The goal was like 1500 bucks, which is relatively low considering like some campaigns do 50 K or hundred K. Oh, um, yeah. Like I didn't necessarily think I could land a, a print campaign and like deliver on it the best I could at the time. So I just figured I'd give myself like the path of least resistance. And I said, you know, if at the end of 30 days we make $1,500 or $1,501 and like we scrape by like, that'll be a win and I'll, and I'll keep moving forward. Um, and this was in April of 2017. So this was after my one year off. Um, so I'd gone back to work and I was doing this sort of part-time after hours. It was, it was, it was full-time in addition to a full-time job. Um, so I launched the campaign at like eight o'clock in the morning, East coast time. And then I drove to work. And by the time I got to work, like 40 minutes later, the, the campaign had been funded and then some like you know, fifteen hundred dollars, um, and then by the end of the the thirty days, it was almost triple funded with like several hundred you know um, backers. I mean, it was it was a much wilder success than I ever imagined. I I always go into things with like really managed expectations, uh, probably as a defense mechanism, honestly, but also just because I think. You know, a small win is, is better than no win. And I'd always, you know, kind of want to be reasonable. Like, I don't over, want to overestimate my ability, but um, the campaign was insane success by, you know, the metrics I had set out. And then uh, a year later, the book came out in print through a co-publishing program with SourcePoint Press and Comics Experience. Andy had sort of submitted the book on my behalf to Travis McIntyre, who runs SourcePoint Press, because uh, he really loved the book and believed in it and thought it was a good representation of what comics experience can can help do for for people who want to become creators. It's actually it's funny. Um, I had met uh Sourcepoint Press a couple times, but I'd never met Travis um and I finally caught up with him at uh, New York Comic Con in 2017. And then by then I'd been traveling for cons and networking and and kind of just, you know, getting into a good rhythm with that and i I walked up to the booth i said hi to josh uh warner who i had met a couple times before he's the art director over there um and i introduced myself to travis um you know for everyone listening travis kind of looks like tormund from game of thrones he's a big burly guy
0: (laughs) yeah he does
1: (laughs) crazy big red beard crazy fiery hair um kind of gruff like (laughs) um but uh, i walk up and i say hey i'm i'm frank ogle and I'm a comic book writer, and I just wanted to come over and introduce myself and, and you know, get to know you a little bit. And we were talking, and it was a good conversation. Travis is a pretty easygoing guy, and he's, he's funny. I like I really like talking with him. Um, we're we're very close now, actually. Um, but about halfway through the conversation, he looks at me and kind of tilts his head and squints at me. He's like, what did you say your name was? And I was like, Frank Gogol. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, j- I just read your book. And I'm like, no, no, I think you're mistaken. I, I haven't submitted anything. I, I, you know, I, I'm not, I haven't pitched you guys. anything. he's like, it's called grief, right? He's like, it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. We're going to pick it up. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I, I thought I was having a stroke. Um, but I didn't want to embarrass myself any more than I was already probably. Um, so I kind of just played off the rest of the conversation, said goodbye. And then I walked away and after I was about 200 feet away, I started hyperventilating and I called my girlfriend and I was like freaking out. And I was like, I think I just had a nervous breakdown. I think I imagined this, I wanted this thing so much. I imagined that it happened. Um, but as, as I mentioned, you know, Andy had submitted on my behalf, um, and it was the first book accepted for that joint publishing program between comics experience and source point press um and you know it's been it's been like a pretty crazy ride ever since uh the book came out in print at c2e2 in april 2018 um and again i went in with like really managed expectations uh i talked to travis at the show and i was like listen I'm, i don't know if i'm gonna be a good hand seller like this isn't something that i ever imagined myself really doing and i've never done it before um, and then you know we we sort of like took stock like grief is it's a short story collection it's a, it's an anthology most people aren't necessarily interested in that like you know um, and and the, the the material it covers is is pretty heavy in a lot of ways and it's not something people necessarily want to engage with so I said look uh, if I sell like 20 copies of this over the next three days. Like I'm gonna call that a win, and and <laughs> sort of like we agreed that like you know it's it's small victories and and being realistic. Um, the the C32 is three days: Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, by the end of Friday, we had sold 27 copies, and by the end of the weekend, we had sold almost 70. I mean, like it just that book throughout my entire four-year career has continued to defy my expectations every single time I think it's like, hit its glass ceiling. Um, The, the print run was like 4,000 copies. We sold it out in a little over a year. Um, It went on to get nominated for a Ringo Award last year. Uh, And for anyone listening, uh, the Ringo's are one of like the the big three awards with the the Eisner's, the Harvey's and the Ringo's would I guess be number three. Um, So now to be writing comics for less than three years and have your first book nominated for like a really major industry award, like I mean, like it just blows my mind. Like I, I, I'm almost ready to like go bury it. Yeah, it's
0: pretty subs- It's pretty <laughs> substantial.
1: <laughs> yeah, like I, but I like I want to put the book in like a box and bury it in the backyard now. Like, like just let it rest. It has worked so hard for me, and like I can't imagine having a better first book. Um, and it opened a a ton of doors for me. I mean, we got dead end kids, which was a wild success too. Um, because grief was so well received. Like I, I didn't even have to pitch Travis. Like I brought him the finished book and I said, Hey, I want to do this thing. And Travis said, do you believe in it? I was like, yeah. And he's like, all right, let's do it. And we got it on the schedule and it came out and it, it, it went nuts last year. I mean, like Crazy like and then and, and I had that same conversation with Travis last last summer before the book came out I was like look if we do like a thousand copies, which is pretty good for an indie book like it's not Gangbusters, but it's 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 respectable I was like listen if we do a thousand copies like I'm gonna call that a win and we can build on it with the next book You know, we'll do two thousand with the next book and you know Maybe hit three thousand with the book after like just I'm all about like slow and steady um, and then Dead End Kids came out and we ended up doing 7,000 copies at the first issue. I was going to
0: say, you did 7,000. That's a.
1: Yeah. And like, like, <laughs> that's not slow and steady. <laughs> 25 different covers, of two different print. I mean, like, it really went crazy. And like, the sales were steady through issue three. Like, the drop off wasn't substantial from, from one issue to the next, like most comics. Um, So it's just, it's been incredibly wild. And like that opened the door for no heroin, which we talked about a little bit earlier. I'm sitting here like waiting to hit my foul ball. Like they just.
0: (laughs) So with expectations of those that are following you and have responded well to the things you've done so far, what can people expect as far as no heroin? Uh, Is it going to be extended series? How many issues do you have planned currently? This
1: series, um, We'll call it Volume One of No Heroin. Uh, is planned for three issues. Dead End Kids was three issues. That felt like a good-sized series for somebody at my level. Like again, I'm always trying to sort of bat at my level and 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 not go bigger than I need to or or that I'm capable of. This series, uh, the issues are a little bit bigger, and and the story is definitely more complex than Dead End Kids. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think uh in spite of the successes I've had, which are, I'm extremely grateful for, I do recognize that I am still kind of an unknown quantity to a lot of people. Like, I'm not Dan Slott. I'm not, you know, Tom King. Um, going to be easier to get people on on board with a series by a writer they don't know much about if it's only three issues. You know, $12 is a lot easier to say yes to giving away than, you know, $24 for a six-issue miniseries. Um, and, I'm, and I'm definitely, like interested in like the value people get out of my work. Um, I wanted to keep dead and kids short and sweet, a lot of bang for your buck. Same thing with, uh, no heroin. The dead end kids trade is coming out, uh, next Wednesday, actually. Uh, wow, awesome. As of this recording. And I was really adamant with source point press that we keep the price point low and it's nine 99, uh, which the only other nine 99 books in the industry are the image first volumes. But I wanted to make sure people could very easily get into the book and pick it up. What's crazy, and I didn't realize this when we were talking about the price point is that's cheaper than it would it cost to buy the single issues at cover price. So like, I'm just really, I wanna make sure people are being taken care of. I'm I'm more interested in putting my story in people's hands and taking money out of their wallets. So yeah, no heroin will be three issues. We're working on a dead end kids two right now. Uh, I can't really say a whole lot about that, but that'll be out towards the end of the year if the world doesn't end. Um, and that will be my my first four issue mini series. like if if no heroine comes out and it's a slam dunk or even like you know a groundro double, I'll, I'll consider that my sign that I can do a four issue
0: mini. Well, I will work hard to get this to coincide today. And if I do, for those of you who are listening, make sure to go out and check out the trade.
1: And for anyone who's listening who hears this after Wednesday, March 25th, you can definitely continue to order that book indefinitely. I mean, like it's not like a single issue where when it goes out of print, it's gone. It'll get reprinted if it sells Uh Grief is out of print right now, and but it will get a second printing to coincide with No Heroin Number One. Uh, so that'll be in April previews by the end of the summer, or even the middle of the summer. All my stuff will be in print and available, and and you know affordable within reason. I guess not everybody's gonna afford <laughs> it. And, and you know, if if you're listening to this and you just want to check the books out, and like you don't have ten bucks, like shoot me a Facebook message or a Twitter message and I'll send you the PDFs. I don't really care. I'm really just, I just want to put the books in people's hands and let them read them. I don't care about dollars and and all that bull crap.
0: Well, it will be uh, listed within the show notes. So if you're listening and you enjoy the conversation so far, we will put all the links there to uh, Frank's work. Check it out, Uh, support him and be on the look for no heroin. I appreciate your time and man, I'm really excited for you. It's always good to get to talk to someone who has taken that big leap of faith and was met with solid ground under your feet. Um, Thank God. (laughs) But it's very encouraging. And for those out there that have the opportunity to hear your story, whether it's personal uh, or professional, you have a story to tell and you can tell that. And I have read your work. I enjoyed your work. And I just am so thankful for the opportunity that uh, you took some time out and like we said these these trying times to talk with me and share uh, some background on your stories when is no heroin supposed to release
1: uh, so the official announcement is coming at the end of the month uh, but it doesn't I, I don't care about that kind of crap uh the the, the street date for issue number one is uh, June 24th. Uh, And it will be up for pre-order starting April 1st. Um, So if it sounds like a book you're super interested in, you want to check out, uh, make sure you go to your shop and pre-order it. Uh, Just tell them No Heroin, SourcePoint Press, Frank Gogol, any combination of those three things and probably be able to get it like I can't stress enough the, the pre-order part though. A, a lot of people don't understand this and like that, and it's, it's no one's fault. Like it's just, I have a much closer view than most people because I work in the industry. Um, pre-ordering is kind of the backbone of the industry. Uh, and like, you're going to see it a lot right now with like shops struggling to s- stay open after the coronavirus thing, hopefully eventually blows over. Um, but essentially the way it works is a creator writes a book and an artist and they, they make the book and a publisher picks it up and will print it. Uh, Diamond, the the distributor in the industry will take the book and distribute it to the comic shops and comic shops will buy copies of the book from Diamond and they will sell them to you and that's how they make a profit. Um, With most comics, especially small press and indie comics, uh, print runs are determined by the number of pre-orders. So if a thousand pre-orders get made, 1100 copies get made. Um, There's always a little bit of extra to to cover damaged copies and and for some optional reorders if the book has an audience after the pre-order window, but it's usually very limited. So if this sounds like a book that you like and you want to keep comics thriving, uh, go out and Go, go out and pre-order it. Tell your shop that you want to pre-order it. Pre-order the whole series if you feel really confident about it. And this doesn't just apply to me. Like uh, if, if you like Canto over at IDW, they're getting another series this year. Make sure you pre-order that. Um, Scout's putting out a lot of really good stuff. Um, Vault's putting out some really great stuff. So any of these small publishers that you're, that you're hearing about and seeing the books and enjoying, make sure that you pay attention and make sure that you pre-order the books that sound cool to you. So that way you can A, make sure you get copies, and B, make sure that that the 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 industry continues to thrive and those kind of books keep getting made
0: all good information man i appreciate you so much and i want you to come back if you enjoyed your time here please go check out frank come back for the next episode that is all for this appreciate your time sir yeah man thanks for having me